Again, we'll be reading from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 through 10. So please stand up on your feet as we read scripture. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with this we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening, friends. Um, it's good to see you all again. I'm getting um, glasses this week, so I can recognize faces the next time I'm here. But um, So I asked your pastor, um, what would you like me to preach on while you are on vacation? And he said, money. <laughs> and uh, I said, anything specific? And he sent me this list. I'm like, oh, this is like a retreat. <laughs> like That's how much stuff that he wanted to hit, hit on. And it's, you know, I get invited to do a lot of conferences whenever um, the pastor wants me to address like a hard topic. And so here I am. And uh, how do you feel about this topic? You see, like, I have this saying, um, and it goes like this, money makes people funny. Yeah, I, I think it's a really good line, um, but just hold on to it. Money makes people funny. And the way my friend has developed this is he said, no, money makes people wacky, right? And it's such a force to be reckoned with. Like, I wish what we could do, we could do it because your pastor's not here, but your elders are here, so we can't. <laughs> but you know what would be great to do a Q&A, Q&A? Um, because there are so many dimensions to this that um, I wish I could hit on, right? And so I'm just going to do a few today, but, um, you know, I thought maybe this it might be helpful to begin in this sort of way. Like, just consider this contrast with me for a moment. Do you know that in the New Testament, if you, like, got a, like, yellow highlighter, and highlighted every time there is a direct or indirect reference to money, it's like everywhere. It's everywhere. And um, there's probably no struggle that Jesus talked about more than money. So what's the like uh, logical conclusion you can take from that? Jesus assumed that most people would struggle with money, right? It's, it's a force to be reckoned with. Now just consider that. And then I've been in ministry for about um, a little bit over 20 years now, right? And in the past 20 years, people have come and shared <clears throat> so many different struggles. I mean, it's incredible. But isn't this incredible? In 20 years, 2.5 people have shared that they struggle with money. Right? I say 0.5 because one was like, ah, I think I struggled, and not really, and then he just walked away. And, you know, so there wasn't much there. But isn't that Interesting. And even now, if I were to say to you, wouldn't you agree that people struggle with money? This is a big thing. And you would nod, and you would be thinking about everyone else in this room except yourself. See, money has this way of just really making us funny. And so that's why I wanted to just pray with you uh, first, and then just invite you to consider some thoughts that 
the Bible has to say here. Okay, so let's pray together. Let's pray. God, we need your help. Uh, there's probably no counterfeit God that is more powerful than money. It is a force to be reckoned with. And yet, we tend to approach it so lightly, so flippantly, um, in many cases, so thoughtlessly. And so we pray for your help right now. This is a it's, a, it's actually a scary thing, the love of money. It can do a number on us. And so I pray that you would help us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So um, if I could just leave you with one thought, one thought and then just build it out with three points, it's this. In the end, what the Bible teaches us about money is related to this thing called freedom. Freedom, okay? Um, that's the main thought I want to I share with you today because, you see, like... Think about this from like God's perspective. It's not like God has this grand purpose of like, I'm going to redeem, I'm going to redeem the, um, this world. But you know what? I'm banking on your tithe and offering. <laughs> like, if you really think about this, like, it's like, you know, it's sort of funny. Like, every now and then when we go out to dinner, my kids like, oh, we're going to chip in dead. Like, they like flip me a quarter. I'm like, thanks. You know, like, it doesn't make any substantial difference, right? And so when you think about it, why do you think God cares so much that you are good about tithing, that you are good about being generous? It's because God's desire is for you to be free. And I want to suggest to you, I think that many of us, we are like slaves of money, as I'll parse out here, right? And, and I hope that you will take no offense to any of this, because I myself, right, have really struggled with this for many years. Um, when I was growing up, I felt like I should be a pastor when I was 10, and God totally used my ignorance, because I didn't know what a pastor was. Just like my wife didn't know what it was meant to be a pastor's wife. We, we both talk about it. Had we known, neither one of us would have done it, right? So, like, really, I, but one thing I did notice growing up was that every pastor I knew was poor. It was poor. And this was really a big, uh, this was a big deal for me, because, you see, I don't know about you, but this is what I struggle with when it comes to, like, money. The thing I struggle with the most, right? It's not one-dimensional, but it's this. I, I love control, okay? And so this is what I mean. I never wanted to be in a situation where, like, um, even tonight, like, someday I'm going to bring her, my baby girl. She's like, I love her to death. She's not a baby anymore, but she's still my baby. And I love her to death. And, like, she goes, Dad, when you come home, can we go get, like, noodles? I'm like, oh, of course. Like, of course. Like, whatever you want. That's why dad exists. She goes, I know. You're, you're the best. I'm like, oh, what else? So I adore her, right? I absolutely adore her. And this is what I feared so much so when I was growing up. I feared that if I became a pastor, I would be in so many situations where my kids or my wife would come up to me and say, hey, can we go on vacation to Disney World? Hey, can we need a new car? Or hey, you know, I, I want to, like, you know, go out for noodles. I never wanted to be in a position where I had to say, we can't do it. This is very powerful. It's, like, it's all controlling for me. And it's not that I was planning to say yes to everything. 
But I never wanted to be in a position where um, I didn't, I couldn't do it. Does that make sense, right? And so I made this plan. <laughs> I made this outrageous plan. So when I was 18, <clears throat> I, I made a plan, and I said, you know what? I'm going to go into finance. And I resolved to be an investment banker. And this was my grand plan. I was going to work until 30. I was going to work like crazy. And then I was going to make a lot of money and live off my dividends and live off my coupons, right? And this was a really huge uh, thing for me because I wanted so much to have control over my financial, you know, well-being. And so I, and I wanted this so much that when my father asked me, right, um, at the end of college, I, I, I was offered a job at a private equity. He asked me, wait, didn't you want to go to seminary and be a pastor? And I said, I do, but that, you know, I'm going to wait until I'm 30, right? And he said something like, I don't know what father would say this, but a good father would say this. He said, oh, really? And he said, what makes you think you're going to live beyond 30? <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> but, you know, the longer you live, you realize that's actually, there's a lot of wisdom. He said, oh, so your plan is you're going to, like, start really, like, doing what you believe God has called you 30 once you're secure? I said, yeah, I think it's a great plan. And he said, you know, it's not a bad plan, but there are so many assumptions built into it. You think you're going to live beyond 30. And also he would, he would say things like, you know, if you believe that God has called you to be a pastor, then give your best years to God when you're young. Now, when you're 22, you don't really understand that because you think you're forever young, Right. But when you turn 30, you're like, oh, this is what dad was talking about. When you turn 40 and 50, it's like, oh, okay, whatever. Right? So, so, like, I want you to know that I come at this not with any sense of, like, like holier than thou. Like, I really do understand this. And so, but I also do understand this. God has been chiseling my heart. He's really been working on me through just patient and extraordinary ways because more than anything, I think he has wanted me to know the freedom that Jesus gives. And that's why, again, like if you could walk away today with one thing, yeah, there are some very concrete action steps maybe some of you have to take, maybe. But at the end of the day, it's not so that you could be a good Christian. You know what I mean? It's not so that all of a sudden God will look upon you favorably. It's because God really wants you to have freedom freedom in the gospel, right? So very, very quickly, here's just uh, several reflections I want to give to you, right? The one is this, um, why we love money, why we love it. We do, right? Just have to be why we love it. And number two, what this love does to us, right? What this love does to us. And number three, what love can change this love? Hope it makes sense, okay? Why we love it, um, what this love does to us, it messes us up. And then number three, what love can change this love? So Number one is this. We love money for two reasons, and one of them I hit on already, but there are two S's, two S's, right? And <clears throat> the first one is this. We love it for security. You know, this text is interesting. You notice what Paul says here in verse, um, yeah, if I had my glasses, that would be very helpful. <laughs> Give me one second. <laughs> okay, verse six. He says, now there is great uh, gain in godliness with contentment, and look at this language here. We brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. What does that language remind you of? It's the book of Job. Naked I came, and naked I go. And what Paul is getting at here is that all of us, like, by the way, it doesn't matter 
how strong, powerful, capable you are, we have almost like this instinctual understanding of our vulnerability. We know we're not invincible. Uh, and by the way, there are a lot of sociologists, psychologists that have said this is why we're fixated on figures like Superman, because we see in these figures something that we are ontologically not. And all of that uh, is meant for this. Like, um, you know, as a pastor, you hear a lot of sad stories. And even recently, I was uh, listening to the testimony of this man who has been incredibly successful. I mean, incredibly. And um, he, can buy a, he can buy a house with cash for $5 million, and he doesn't have to think about it. So he's that successful. And, um, but unfortunately, he was recently um, diagnosed with cancer. He doesn't have that long to live. And um, during this time, interestingly, his fixation has been, well, if I die, will like, there be enough money so that my kids and my wife, they're taken care of? Now, by the way, I want to be clear about this. I think it's very godly, especially if you are men, right, to uh, want to make sure your family is secure. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But you see, what's going on there is that we are deeply afraid as people, and therefore we're longing for security. This is something, that, and by the way, you never quite outgrow this. One of the greatest things about being a parent is that you see actually that who we are as adults, we're actually not very different from children, right? And so, like, <laughs> the other day, my son, he's getting braces, and he's like, Dad, like, is it going to be okay? I, I didn't know what he was talking about. I was like, what do you mean, is it going to be okay? He's like, they're like, you think I'll, you think I'll, you know, I'll come out of this? I was like, what? <laughs> You're not getting, like, heart surgery. <laughs> I'm just like, well, you know, I'm trying to be a good father. I'm like, yeah, 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 you'll be good. But you see, deep down, like, there's this sense of, like, like safety, security. And because we know naked we came and naked we go, we know we're finite. We're trying to find security. We are. We really are. And that's one of the reasons why you love money. Because money does seem to grant what? A certain measure of what? Security. It does, right? But not really too, as we'll, as we'll see. But you see, friends, like it's not just that you love money. It's that you love security. Security. The other reason is this. <clears throat> There's this other S, right? And it's this. Some of us, we love money because it grants security. But some of us, we love money because it gives a sense of significance. You see, with money, you can buy certain things. And you can buy, you know, you can have certain experiences. And by doing so, right, we feel like we have succeeded. We are significant, right? Um, recently, it was interesting, like, um, when I first moved to Northern Virginia, uh, I was blown away by the homes. Maybe some of you have had this experience where, like, I was coming from, I was out of, coming out of seminary, and I was living in, like, a one-bedroom apartment with three guys. It's, that's always a bad idea. And so when you come to Northern Virginia, the first time I was invited to someone's house, I was like, whoa, this is, like, the biggest house I've ever seen. And then I get invited to another house. I'm like, whoa, this is the biggest house. And by the 10th time, like, I oh, forget it. <laughs> like, every house is huge, right? So, like, it, it is what it is. But... You know, recently this man, he was sharing with me something interesting. So he and his, he was meeting up with a friend that he had not seen. And maybe some of you can identify with this. 
He's meeting up with a friend he had not seen for almost 15 years. So they had attended graduate school together. Okay? And um, his friend, his wife, and their kids came over. And his friend asked them, hey, you want to meet um, at a restaurant? And this man said, no, let's meet at my house. And um, so he came. And when his friend came, now this man has a very nice house. Uh, his friend was like, whoa, oh, this is nice, <laughs> right? And then uh, he said, oh, you, want, you want me to give you a tour, right? And uh, the friend said, yeah, I mean, you can't say no. Have you ever, <laughs> like, no, thank you, right? So he said, sure. And so he was showing him, like, the renovated bathrooms, you know, like the marble countertop, you know, all of that stuff. And afterwards, he thought about it. And we were reflecting on this together. And it's like, it would have been so much easier had we just met at a restaurant. Why, why did I want to, like, give him a tour of the house? Why did I want to, was it simply, I, you know, for your instructional, like, wh- what was going on there? It's a, it's a good question. And he said it was something about that exchange when his friend kept saying, whoa. This bathroom is bigger than my bedroom. Whoa, each of your kids has a full bath. Whoa, you have a, like, theater in your home. That gave him this sense of, like, ah, I've made it. I'm successful. All right? And um, I want to suggest to you that I think that's one of the reasons why we love money. Because when is the last time, those of you who Instagram, you know, you, you like, at McDonald's, value meal, <laughs> right? No, it's like you go to a fancy restaurant in Washington, D.C., you take an Instagram picture, and, you know, and I'm not saying, you know, that you have, like, these, like, malicious motives. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that. But all I'm saying is that, you see, our love for money, it's like there's more to it. It's not as neutral as we might suppose. Really, a lot of it is because we're looking for security, and we're looking for, like, significance. And I just want to challenge you, friends. Like, it's helpful to be just thoughtful about the love of money, right? Honest but thoughtful about what it, why does it seem to have such attractive power? And it's because it's getting at certain carnal, basic tendencies in us. Everyone here wants to feel secure and safe. Everyone here wants a sense of what? Significance. And when you think, of, when you're honest about that, then you can begin to see why, like, we love money so much. So that's number one. Now, number two, what does money do to us? And the answer is really simple. It blinds us, and by blinding us, it destroys us. I, w- I could speak so long about this, but where do we see this? <clears throat> it blinds us, and then it destroys us. Look at what Paul says here in verse 9. Those... And this is very instructive. He doesn't say in verse 9, look at it very carefully. He doesn't say those who are rich, but it's also those of you who, what, desire to be rich. Then look at the language. They fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires. And then at the end of verse 10, Paul says, it is through this craving, this love, that some have wandered away from the faith. So, Let me just work out those two ideas. It blinds you, and by blinding you, it destroys you, okay? Money, as I've mentioned, it it makes us money because here is one way 
one great example of how money blinds us. When is the last time you have met someone that has said, I get paid way too much for what I do, right? No one has ever thought like, oh my gosh, like I, I'm getting overpaid. No. And not only that, have you noticed this? Even ridiculously rich people think they're poor. And this is why. This is the way money works, right? This is the way money blinds us, right? Um, you never look at where you are relative to people who have less. See, that, that, if we're just honest with ourselves, we always look at people, we compare ourselves with people that make more. And this is why, like, and by the way, this DMV area, not to exaggerate it, there's something in the air in this area that makes us especially weird. During my last year of seminary, we were all getting job offers. I remember one of my buddies, um, he got a job offer to serve as a full-time pastor in New Jersey. And he was going to get paid $30,000 plus benefits. You have to understand, as seminary students, right, we often lived off of, like, you know, uh, Papa John specials, right? <laughs> so when we got word he was going to make 30000 we were like, whoa, oh my gosh, that's so much money. We were like, so we were like, wow, you've made it. And then I moved to Northern Virginia, right? <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, 30000 uh, it, it's a little rough in this area, like, to make it out. And I'll, I'll be honest. But you see, when I started making 30000 I didn't think all of a sudden I was rich. Because then I thought about my peers who were making 60. And then finally, when I got offered a full-time, I was making 60. By then, I was convinced I was, what, poor. Because especially in my setting, I'm surrounded by people who easily make three, four, five hundred thousand a year. Right? I've had the privilege of knowing now mm, like about five, six people. They're probably each worth minimum fifty to a hundred million dollars, right? They're rich. I mean, they're, it's really nice to hang out with them, by the way. <laughs> just as a, I'm just gonna be honest. It's really cool, like the stuff that they do. They're like, you want to go on a sailboat? I'm like, how much is it? They're like, oh, don't worry, I own it. I was like, oh, <laughs> sure. So it is fun hanging out with rich people, but you know, I've never met these rich folk who think they're rich. You know, one of my buddies, he, he, he was successful very early on. I think he was successful. He was less than 30, and he, he, was, he made over $10 million. And he joined this thing called like a, like, I don't even know what it's called, like a millionaire's club. Like, like it's sort of silly. You have to pay 50000 to join. I'm like, it's a total scam, but they do it. And anyway, when he was in that club, he was surrounded by people who made $10 million a year, right? And so he always felt poor. You see, friends, that's what, like, money does to us. The reason why Paul says it's like a snare, no one can see it. And that's why no one thinks he or she struggles with it. Again, like, in your life, right, isn't it, like, fascinating? I alluded to this earlier. People have come and shared every struggle, like, under the sun. But when is the last time a friend or a family member said, hey, you know what, I think I struggle with money. I think about it too often. I fantasize about, like, what I can buy. You know, I think about playing the lottery, right? You see? Because sin has that blinding impact on us, right? This particular sin, right, of money, the love of money. 
And because it blinds us, right, friends, family, and you know this, as a result, we make incredibly bad, destructive decisions. It was over uh, 15 years ago. I had a church member, he came up to me. He looked like he was in bad shape. He looked really bad. He said, hey, Pastor Paul, like, uh, I need you to pray for me. And I said, what do you need me to pray for? He goes, I'm just going through a hard time. I'm like, all right, that's very general. He goes, you'll find out soon enough. And uh, about a year later, I was just reading a newspaper about his uh, practice. And uh, to keep it vague, he was engaged in this thing called insurance fraud. You know, when you're a certain uh, line of work, you can build insurance companies, right? And so he had, um, you know, done some inappropriate claims. And then um, I followed up on his story, and it was really sad. I, I think he had maybe uh, uh, claimed like about 100000 I didn't even think that was worth it. But you know what was so sad? So he was in prison, I think, for about a year or two. But he had just had a child during that time. And so he missed uh, his child's first uh, year or two of life. And the only time he got to see his um, child was in prison during visitations. And I, and I looked at that, and I was like, oh, that's so sad how, like, money really makes us so funny. We just do weird things. And that's why Paul, he says this, it's through this craving some have wandered away from the faith. Let me give you the best, I think, biblical illustration of this. Do you remember that one time? This is like such a spectacular story. Um, I'm not much of an artist, but I've told you a few paintings I would like someday. Um, and this is one that I would love. Uh, if I was artistic, I would do it. Do you remember this great story? This young, rich ruler. He's like an Arlingtonian, so one of you, right? Comes to Jesus and says, Master, Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life, okay? So he's asking a great question. He's like, all right, I realize, you know, I'm going to die. So um, I wonder what's going to happen afterward. And because I'm a good investor, good businessman, I'm thinking and planning for the future. Okay. So um, I want to, like, know how to secure, like, eternity. Now, you know what I hated about this story? It's one of those times it would have been awesome had Jesus given a parable. So that way the young man would have walked away and said, huh, I need to think about what he said. But Jesus was remarkably clear and concrete. He says, all right, you know your portfolio at Fidelity? Sell it all. Your house? Sell it all. It was so explicit. And then he says, after you sell it, Give all of it to the poor. Give it all away. And then follow me, and you're guaranteed to have eternal life. Right? You notice Jesus didn't say, be kind. That would have worked. Like, okay. Be forgiving. Jesus says, sell it all. They give it to doxology. I don't know. No, Pastor Steve didn't make me say that. I just I totally give it Okay, so give it away to a nonprofit. Follow me, and you're going to have eternal life. And this young rich ruler, he says, oh, man, I'm worth a lot of money. And he walks away. You know why that's a really powerful story? Because it shows you money (laughs) makes us funny. It shows us that we are willing to exchange eternal 
joy, bliss, where there's no more sorrow, disease, and death for like maybe what? A few decades on earth. That's why, remember I told you the other painting I love when Esau exchanged his birthright for a bowl of lentils? That is the human condition. And friends, this is why I want to say to you that you see this love of money, it is a force to be reckoned with. Quick application. Therefore, while we shouldn't avoid money, we should not be so thoughtless about money. And this is what I mean. Like this, I say this as a parent. You know, when I was growing up, we could only become three things, uh, especially in an Asian household. You had to become like a doctor, a lawyer, or like a successful businessman. And the first time I met my mother-in-law, because I have like a ton of doctors in my family, like in the middle of dinner, she goes, something wrong with you? Because <laughs> she's like, you didn't fit any of those categories, right? But anyway, um, and you see, and the reason for that is because those three professions generally make a lot of money. But there isn't any sense of like, actually, money can do a number on us. You see, we're sort of like, even like when people choose their jobs, it's like, oh, yeah, I'll go here. Like, they're doubling my, um, you know, my compensation. Sure. You see how, like, we're not thoughtful about it? Jesus here is teaching us that, you know, money has this way of blinding you, and you just want more money all the time. And if you let this love take over you, what's going to happen is this. If you let this love take over you, you're going to spiral down without fail. And there are so many stories, and many of you, unfortunately, have seen that, at least in your family and friends, right? Let me keep my last point um, very brief and simple. So what can change us? What can change us, right? And it's this. And then let me offer just two quick uh, applications. But this is the thing that's really going to change us. You see... We can't eradicate what's going on underneath. You want security, and you want significance. Like, those are not bad things. But you see, the problem is you're looking in the wrong places. See, and, like, this is where friends, this is where, you know that cliche, the rubber meets the road or something like that. You have to really ask yourself whether you believe in Jesus. Like, really ask yourself. In this sense, you have to ask, do you believe Jesus, he won't give you everything you want, none of that, you know, prosperity gospel, okay? He will always give you everything you need. He will be sufficient. And not only that, whether you drive um, a nice car, maybe not nice car, whether you have a McMansion or not, in him, you are known and you are counted as a son or daughter of God. And that's your significance. And you see, it's this thing, friends, like, you got to wrestle with it. And you can't do this. Please don't do this. Say, like, of course, but still hold on to your money. The thing is, like, God, he, he uses metrics in some ways. You see, the way you know that Jesus has really become your security and your significance is you let go of what? The counterfeit God. And I want to close just in this way. I want to encourage you along these ways. These past 20 years, I wish I could spend more time with you and share with you how incredibly faithful God has been uh, to me. Um, so my own story is I decided to leave finance. I'll never forget my boss. And actually, I, I write to him once a year. And he always said, of course I remember you. You were either the 
stupidest <laughs> or, or the most saintly person I've ever met. I said definitely stupidest, not saintly. Because he, he gave me an offer. Like, he could not believe that. I, but I want to tell you this. Like, since that time, Jesus has been, oh, my gosh. Like, that's the thing. Like, you know there's that famous line, you can never know del- the delights of God's love until all on the altar you lay. It's when you let go of money and you just do what God has called you to do. Like, I, you know, forgive me for using this language, but God becomes very real to you. Like, very real. And you are like, and all of a sudden, this is such a great place to be. Money, it's just money. It's a great place to be. And it takes time, right? And if I can just give you the applications along the way, like, number one is this. You got to tithe. You know, and none of this, like, pre-tax, post-tax, I don't know, blah, blah, blah. Just tithe, whatever that means, okay? Like, there's so much argument about this, you know, people. But just give to the Lord what belongs to the Lord. I, I say just 10% to your local church at the very least, right? And this is what I mean. Like, when you do it, it's just such an amazing thing, like, what God provides. Like, how he, he, he meets every need. So, you know, I'll give you just a quick, fun anecdote. Like, um, this is one example after another. Uh, I can give you one example after another, 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 but um, it was years ago, uh, you know, when my kids were super young, we were going to go to Florida. So a buddy of mine said, oh, you're f- going to Florida? You're going to Orlando? I'm like, yeah, we're going to Orlando. He goes, oh, you're going to Disney? I was like, no. <laughs> like, this is a lot of money. We're going to, like, a little, like, you know, condo. And we're just letting kids, they're young. They're just going to be in the pool, the same thing for them. He goes, oh, sure. <clears throat> Next day, FedEx package arrives, right? And I open it because it's so random. It was like a day before we were leaving. And it was from my New York buddy. And it was uh, five tickets to Disney World for five days. And I was like, what? <laughs> and I called him. I was like, why'd you do this? He goes, because you're poor. <laughs> I was like, all right. <laughs> all right. The good, good point, good point. But he's like, you know, like, it's fine. And, I, you know, and you see, you know why I laugh at that specific example? Because I remember telling my dad, I'm not going to go ministry yet. How am I going to take my kids to Disney? Like, I remember saying that exact line. And so when I got the tickets, I remember, like, really feeling this. I'm not trying to be all charismatic, mystical on you. But I remember God, like, really just saying, oh, you're so dumb. <laughs> I Like, in such a gentle way, like, man, like, it's so easy. But you just have to let go. You have to follow me. And I cannot tell you one story after another where, by tithing, by being generous, by following him, God meets all your needs. And in that process, he gives you the freedom that he has already secured for us on the cross. And so that's why, friends, I want to encourage you. Step one is this. Step one towards freedom, just tithe, right? And let me make this suggestion to you. This is how twisted our thinking is. We're like, well, doesn't the Bible say God loves a joyful giver? So some people will say I shall wait, you know, out of reverence for the word of God until I'm joyful, right? <laughs> Let me tell you, yeah, God loves a joyful giver, but he just likes people who are obedient too. And God will use your obedience to make you generous. And I think if I can be as practical as this, right, like don't even think about the tithe. Just, you know, with all banks, just do it automatically. Just don't think about it each month. You know, don't do that existential struggle every month, you know, when you're about to write the check, you're like, oh. God knows my heart. <laughs> you know, don't do that. Just do it. 
But the second thing is this, and this is really, I, I wanted to suggest this for you as a church. Um, our church, New City, <clears throat> uh, we've grown a lot, like uh, a lot. And um, I'll tell you the secret sauce, and we'll close with this. Um, the preaching, as you can tell, is very okay. <laughs> Your music, i got to be honest, it's, it's, it's much better than ours. So, but let me tell you, um, one thing that has really changed our, like, our church is unique in this sense. At our church, um, people are generous like you would not believe. Like, if I told you how generous people are, you would just think I'm making it up. They are so, 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 so generous, right? Because in Jesus, they had finally seen that money is a tool. And when new people come to our church, they are totally weirded out by it. They are really, especially in this area, they're like, why are you so generous? And they always say, because Jesus became poor so that in him we might become rich. Like, programs are important, you know, like, good music and all of that is important. But let me, this is the secret sauce. You know what really makes a church unique, especially in this area, is an extraordinary culture of gospel generosity. If you want to see your church grow, right, um, when you have a chance, I make this suggestion to you. If you haven't read this book, you should read it. It'll take like 10 minutes. It's called Stone Soup. It's a really good book. And it's basically about this man that enters into a village. And every, it's a poor village. And so no one offers him uh, food. So he takes a stone. And he says, I'm going to make this marvelous soup. And by the end of the book, everyone is generous because they have let go of their possessions, right, for the sake of building up a community. If you know gospel generosity, that's one of the things that will make doxology distinct. That's one of the things that will really grow you, okay? Let's pray. Let's pray together. <clears throat> God, thank you for this church. Um, it's so important to have great gospel-centered churches in the area. Thank you for the leadership, and thank you for um, even a kind of willingness to consider hard teachings from the Bible. And I pray that um, the members, at, at the very least, the members in this room, um, would be very persuaded that, you know what, I should give to the Lord what belongs to the Lord. I should tithe. Um, but I pray for everyone in this room that they would see it's because what you want for us more than anything else is freedom. Um, you want us to see that in Jesus, we have the things that we're longing for, security and significance forever. And because he is the one true God and because he became poor so that in him we might become rich, that should really have a, ch that should change the way we relate to money. I pray that there might be at least a good seed planted here that we would see money just as a tool for doing good. And that at doxology, the members would experience such incredible generosity. I mean, like, the, the generosity that only the gospel can make possible, that they would really be a light, uh, a light in this world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.